The Stalk Talks podcast brings you intelligent discussions of topical issues inspired by the international city of peace and justice. I think we all know what we need to do. Problems, they come like a costume. They fit you. Remove our inner critic and open our inner, you know, curiosity. You know, nothing speaks louder than money. Walk in, slam your fist on the table, so... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Something has to change. Welcome back to another episode of Stalk Talks. Now, what is upcycling and how is it different from recycling? Well, upcycling, also known as creative reuse, is the process of transforming byproducts, waste materials, useless or unwanted products into new materials or products perceived to be of greater artistic or environmental value. I must admit, Tom, that I knew very little about upcycling when we started on this topic, but the idea of using your imagination to reconceptualize an existing object or material is something I think that artists have done for decades. We might think of well-known conceptual artists like Marcel Duchamp with his urinal that he relabeled as a fountain, or Picasso's bull's head, which is made from a bicycle saddle and the handlebars. Absolutely, Zoe. Those are great examples. And the idea of upcycling got us wondering of what it takes to effectively reconceptualize and what new way of looking at the world around us we might pick up by talking to an expert in the field. And that's why we invited Ninka Hoflit of the Ninka Hoflit Studio to join us today on Stalk Talks. Welcome, Ninka. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Hi, thank you so much. I'm very here. Uh... Happy to be here. And, and so are we. And one of the first questions that we would like to ask you, Nika, because you are somewhat of an upcycling expert. So tell us, how did you get into this field of upcycling and what excites you most about it? Yeah, I think I wouldn't necessarily call myself an upcycling expert, but it's just because I have a very holistic approach to design or art. And when you start looking at whole systems, you see that there are materials that are not being used and yeah, you can give them value again by using them again, or maybe even making something more beautiful with them. So it's, I think, looking at the big picture that made me realize that upcycling is really necessary. And yeah, that's why I started uh, looking at some of the the projects or materials that I've worked with. But maybe you could explain a little bit more or give us a concrete example, perhaps of how upcycling does in some ways seem to combine both art and science. Yeah, I think upcycling means very literal that you take something that has almost no value anymore and you give it more value. And to give something more value, I think creativity is often one of the things that can add this value. So if you start to look think or make outside of the box <laughs> you can uh, you can yeah find these new purposes but it's not something i can achieve on my own because i'm a i'm a designer i'm an artist uh, but i don't have the scientific skills to maybe sometimes realize my ideas so that's why it's very important to collaborate with scientists but also with the industry to see how you can make these changes happen so that it doesn't also stay with this new idea of new application but that it really gets integrated into the industry. So you need to work with many partners. Do you think that is a new view on art or has that been done for, for a longer period of time already like to really ingrain that, that scientific knowledge into the art? Whereas I feel art has sometimes also just been a, a means of expressing yourself. 
I think it's a quite new direction, yes. But I think it's very interesting because artists and designers, they start to realize that they need science. But scientists slowly also start to realize that they need artists. And it's very interesting because we, I think slowly we start to see that we need to look at this bigger picture. So we need to see the whole system and have this holistic approach uh, to sustainability. And yeah, I experience quite often that the scientists, they came up with brilliant innovations, but they don't know how to show it to the audience or to consumers. And then it just gets lost into the scientific world. <laughs> well, we could really use it. So then they need a designer to yeah, give shape to their in innovation or invention. And uh, that's how we can join forces and actually make change. Yeah, so, so one of the specific focuses, because now, of course, you speak a lot about the big picture and we're going to dive into one of the examples that, that you have done personally. So one of the projects you did was the upcycling of seaweed. And your first project was called See Me. And, and it was the first of many and even a research book down the line. So tell us a bit more about this project and perhaps the collaboration between science and art. Yeah, well, I grew up uh, in the Hague, uh, near to the beach. And uh, first I got fascinated with all the plastic pollution I think it was uh, now maybe 10, 15 years ago that uh, I for the first time noticed how much plastic waste there was on the beach. And you probably know that the beaches in the Hague are pretty often clean, especially during the summertime. So I thought if there's still this much plastic here now, then how much plastic must there be in the ocean? And what can I do to help solve this problem? And then I wanted to show it through a positive message. So I didn't want to say, oh, we should stop using plastic and we should stop pollution. I wanted to say that too, but I also wanted to show why. And that's because the sea is so beautiful, but also a great resource, perhaps, of the materials. And seaweed is such an interesting material because it's, it grows really fast. It doesn't need fresh water. It produces a lot of oxygen. You don't need any chemicals to grow it. You don't take up agricultural ground. So it has so many benefits. And at the moment it's not being used or it's at some places it's even waste. So yeah, I thought this could be a very interesting resource for new um, materials and especially textiles because the textile industry is the second most polluting industry worldwide. So it really needs <laughs> big changes. Needs help. It needs help, a lot of help. <laughs> so that's why I started my research into how to make a yarn, but also a dye and to make this whole process circular. And uh, yeah, so use the waste stream from the one process for the other. So you use the seaweed to its full potential and also yeah, has, have as much uh, benefit from such a beautiful material. So is the Sea Me, if I've understood correctly, this project is essentially about turning seaweed into some kind of fabric? Is, is that right? Yeah, it was the first uh, of many <laughs> projects, um, but it was to show the, the, the contrast between the waste and the solution. So the, the waste is the fishing net. I knotted uh, the seaweed yarn by hand into a discarded fishing net. And the fishing nets, yeah, it's a symbol for the pollution and the seaweed yarn is then a symbol for the solution. So that's how I wanted nice. to make one object that tells this whole story. Maybe it's a, a, a tricky question that you perhaps don't even have the answer to yourself, but to go from seeing a problem and then 
instead of saying there's a problem, we need to do something about it, say, why is it important that we do something about this problem? And then think of a completely creative alternative way to, to see a new picture rather than just see the big picture, see a completely new picture is where would you even start with something like that? A lot of research, actually. So um, basically with all the projects that I do, research is always the first step. It's looking at scientific researches, research papers, talking to experts, yeah, trying to get to understand the topic as much as possible and then start experimenting myself. So hands on doing tests, doing research uh, experiments and see what happens. And then slowly this new vision <laughs> arrives. I mean, I think, Ninka, that is interesting because when we think of an artist, you called yourself an artist. We don't normally think of artists immediately starting to do scientific research as they begin their, their next project. <laughs> Was this always your way of operating or is this something that you've sort of grown into as you've developed? Yeah, I think it's something I've grown into, but I think it was always very important for me that my projects tell a story and that my projects would somehow contribute to changing the world for the better. But when I was still in art school, it was not related to sustainability yet, but it was really when I had my own practice that yeah, the research became more and more important. And um, I think it's still developing like this, that the research still becomes more and more important. Okay. So perhaps then we can talk about another project, which we also picked out just because it has a kind of an, an I'll call it an ick factor. I mean, you've called it very nicely water treasures, which sounds lovely. But of course, we need to explain to our listeners that this involves pulp from the sewers. Uh, and you actually take this, this material, if you can call it that, and you've transformed it into tables and decorative bowls. I guess this started with research as well, but how successful has this project been? This project was a commission by the Dutch Water Authorities. They have a foundation that's called the Energy and Raw Material Factory, and they are trying to reclaim as many uh, materials from wastewater as possible. So it's one of them is the used toilet paper, but they also look at uh, other materials. And they came to me with this yeah, kind of scientific question, because for, for them it helps to improve the water treatment process. But then they had this material and they thought, how are we ever going to make people accept this used toilet paper <laughs> as a new material? It's a tough yeah. one. <laughs> it's a tough one. <laughs> yes. So I thought it's a good way to incorporate it into a way that it looks beautiful, but also that it's very much part of our normal daily life. So I made the table lights, bowls, to show how the living room of the future could look like in the hope that people will yeah, ask questions, but also slowly get used to the idea that maybe even a material as disgusting as used toilet paper can be of value. Has this changed the way the way you look around, like your your daily life? And some might see like dirty dishes that you might see. Oh, there could be a next my next artwork could be hid, hiding in there. Like like, <laughs> has it completely changed the way you you see things? <laughs> oh, that's a really good question. Yeah, I think maybe it, it has changed my perspective also. And at the beginning, I I also had to get used to the idea when I was working with the material. I thought, oh, I should not think too much about where this paper has been. <laughs> But in the end, yeah, it's just paper pulp. So it's, it doesn't feel dirty. It doesn't smell dirty. It is not dirty because it's completely cleaned. And then I just started to see the beauty because I 
yeah, I really like the idea that we can be so open-minded that we can recycle or upcycle materials like this. Yeah, so I really enjoyed working on it. And as you said, yeah, the potential is everywhere. Everything can be a new source of, uh, of materials. I think one of the, uh, the the topics that sort of me and Zoe that we were discussing when we were also preparing for this episode is to said, well, some of these, they, they seem incredibly innovative they seem they seem great ideas they could genuinely help solve a real problem but how scalable are they like how how is the potential to for example approach an ikea and say like hey would it be possible to work together on producing this on a, on a larger scale to really yeah to reuse pulp and to make the world a better place as you so put it yeah that's one of the challenges i am or we are facing upscaling it's a completely different approach with my background as an artist, I'm not used to writing business plans or yeah, I have this whole economical uh, aspect involved as well. But it is very important to me because I think that's where the change is made. So I can show, of course, there's potential in this ID, but then if the ID is really brought to the market, then it can really have an impact. And with the toilet paper, I'm very happy that the water authorities are involved because it's part of the government. It's really huge. They can reclaim so much toilet paper and they are working very hard on it. So that's not something I'm doing on my own. The seaweed is something I now have a business partner for and it's a different company. So we are together working very hard on upscaling. But the water authorities, they are now you know, really working with industrial partners to recreate paper, but also it's used in asphalt. Oh, asphalt. So there are many different also industrial uses. So maybe they're not beautiful, but they are practical of how this can still have a function. So, so is it just the mentality that we have that is standing in the way? Or the, so, so yeah. because you said the process is possible, the, the ideas are there, we, we just need to scale it. So what is it that's holding it back? Is it just our mindset of these, these products? Uh, sometimes it's mindset, yes. Sometimes it's even the law. So with toilet paper, for example, well, it has the status of waste and that means that it cannot be reused. So it's something that needs to be changed in the law uh, in order for it to, to so it can have a, yeah, really be used again in production. And sometimes it's mindset, although I think in the Netherlands, the people are very open-minded. And when I see my work in America, for example, people can be a bit more, uh, ooh, this is <laughs> maybe very weird. <laughs> weird. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you need to have, of course, more partners abroad and uh, you need to find the right people. That, and that can take some time. So it's mostly it's time that we need that. I mean, is it, is it also a question of money? Because oh, I don't know how sort of complex are these processes and yeah, how much investment would it take? A lot. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, uh, that's the other <laughs> really big challenge is to find money. Yeah. yeah. Is it in subsidies or is it in investors? And yeah, the, the, it can be in many different forms. Um, but yeah, depends also on the project uh, or on the research question. Okay, so so then perhaps maybe we could bring it back just to sort of an, on an individual level, if we think of all of ourselves, if perhaps our listeners uh, hear this interview and they feel inspired to become upcyclists, I don't know if that's what you call it, um, <laughs> but if you feel inspired to become an upcyclist at home or perhaps at school or even maybe at work, assuming we ever get back to the workplace, what could you recommend for individuals, how could you begin to make this transformation? I think first you need to change your perspective. So you need to start with the idea that maybe every material that you have as waste can become something new. 
so when you look at your old paper, you make your newspapers, it's so easy to make it into paper pulp. You just add water, you mix it, and then you can make it into paper mache. Uh, you can make bowls, you can make all kinds of objects. Maybe your vegetable waste can become a natural dye for your old t-shirt that you want in a new color. The potential, the potential is everywhere. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's, uh, it's the first step is definitely to think outside of the box and to experiment and to enjoy. Is, is this perhaps something that people, that students could do at school? Because I think maybe people would like to do this, but they just don't have that training. As you said, you have to start seeing things in a different way. So if there was somebody to sort of guide you or say, oh, let's do this project or that project to perhaps help people start thinking in a, in a different way. And I think it's easier to do it maybe with, with younger, with young people. It would be super interesting to do it at schools. Yes, I think also at schools, there's so much waste that can be reused. <laughs> I, I love the picture of, of seeing Nienke come to a school and bring a lot of waste, take it to a bunch of students and say, today we're going to do something with all of this waste. And then all the students' faces when they see the waste for the first time. And then by the end, when they, they've transformed and have a completely new perspective on it. I think that's that's an exciting, exciting perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Once I gave a workshop to students in Maastricht on the art school uh, to make fish leather themselves. So I needed to travel from The Hague to Maastricht with all these fish skin <laughs> in the train <laughs> and all the materials. And uh, <laughs> it was... Uh, it was very funny, um, yeah, because the fish can... Smelly. It's very smelly, yeah. That's <laughs> that's something that I cannot say. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's smelly and it's uh, slippery and it's it feels weird. Uh, so, yeah, you need to have a bit of um, good stomach for it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So so far, you've been an amazing advocate. And then the, these are some of the, the cautions. And be aware if you do decide to embark on this uh, <laughs> yes. this upcycling journey. That's maybe yeah. as a, the, a final question. Is there something in, in the topic of upcycling or perspective or, or an, well, in, in some of the work that you do that you would like to share with the listeners to, to, to close off or something that we haven't spoken about that, as a last thing? Yeah, I think maybe it's good to emphasize again this need of looking at the bigger picture. Because, for example, at the moment, there's a lot of uh, talking about uh, recycling plastic. For example, taking plastic out of the, the oceans and then turning it into mm -hmm. a yarn and making it into clothing. And this is something that I'm actually very concerned about because when you make it into clothes, when you wear it or when you wash it, they release the small microplastics or even the nanoplastics. And that by washing them or wearing it, it eventually comes back into the ocean. And these really tiny plastics, they can almost impossibly be removed from the sea. So actually the bigger parts that they now remove to make the new textiles, it's okay, you can do it, but the microplastics are impossible. So actually we are making the problem bigger instead of, yeah, of being an actual solution. And this is why I think don't focus on one thing, also not when it's about sustainability, but really try to look at all the consequences throughout the whole production, the chain, well, also actually consumers don't buy it. So this is perhaps where upcycling would definitely be better than recycling. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, I don't have any ideas yet on how to upcycle it into something that's useful, but <laughs> this is not the option. No, we've been told by an expert that we need to start with research. That's <laughs> 
well, this has been an absolute fascinating conversation. Uh, and we, we both want to thank you, Nika, for, for joining us on Stalk Talks. And as, as well, say, well, you said, well, we're still looking for the right partners and anything like that to say that if people want to know more and get in contact or have great ideas or want to support any of your initiatives, they can uh, contact uh, you via the website, I think, uh, Nika Hoflitz. Are there other ways that, that, that you would like them to reach out or specific people that you're looking for? Investors. <laughs> Money is always welcome. Uh, no, um, but yeah, people can reach me via my website or they can visit in the new studio if they want when things are a bit better with uh, Corona in the Gouden Register. Yeah. Great. Thank you for joining us today on Stalk Talks, Ninka. And to our listeners out there, please stay tuned for another episode at the same time next week. And of course, in the meantime, you know that you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or find out all of our podcasts on Anchor.